Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. From our dividing wall There'll be nobody that will leave behind We'll walk together and we'll be just fine Struggle, you laughed at it. Well, you ain't really laugh at it. You just said I can have at it. There's evangelical mathematics dividing the pools of tab brackets. Gentrified and clean. Single moms and the crack addicts. We should just let the blacks have it. Uh. But I don't want that in my story. And I'm not asking to change the past. Don't want nobody left behind. If we walk together, we will be just fine. If 
walk together be just fine was a really good song and you said you got it from the common hymnal because we are uh, supporting them right and right. so we'll have we'll have some links on the podcast um, page so that you too can find common hymnal and be supporters of their work it's a music consortium yeah and they've come up with some more uh, modern uh, contemporary uh, music uh, and words, but but they're also uh, deep. Well, they're and, heavily influenced with with uh, social justice themes that are rooted in the gospel. Right, but I mean, you're not just getting some lyrics that repeat over and over. You're getting some real depth and uh, lyrics that that speak to the soul, but also speak to the world as well. So yeah, they're a, they're a really great consortium of, of writers and artists, and I've enjoyed them here. I, I, and I thought that this song kind of spoke to the conversation that we've been, been, been leading here. Can you explain that a little bit? <clears throat> well, in, the, in this song, it's about um, different people being on a road together. I mean, people, you know, cultures, um, subcultures, different groups of people, we're all, we're all trying to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and every once in a while we run into these blockages where we can't really go where we think we need to go. Either we're having conversations with people who don't understand us or we don't understand them. Um, I mean, for myself, I think I could sit down with somebody who's, you know, uh, uh, who's happily white supremacist and I would not know where to begin a conversation with them. There's a wall right there. Right. And, and the thing is those, those people, types of people like that are all around us. And the line in the song that just struck me uh, was uh, where they say, um, we can build this bridge together. We'll use the bricks of my dividing wall. Yeah. Thank you. You know, it's, it's that, that, it's almost as if the thing that's keeping us apart from one another, can that actually be transformed in something that we can actually build bridges so we can begin to transform those things? Um, anyway, it made me think of uh, uh, Ephesians 2 and, and Jesus Christ is, you know, breaks down the dividing wall. Uh, but anyway, just a really good song, I think, to kind of set a, a tone, perhaps. Okay. And, and I know that last week when we concluded our time together we were going to start thinking about theology which is a scary term we know that theo means god um ology means the study of but you say it actually is the word logos which means word right i mean so biology uh astrology i guess you know (laughs) anyway that logi can mean study of Right. But actually, it's the same word, you know, that's used at the beginning of the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the word, the logos, or logos. And it kind of means reasoned words, you know, trying to make sense of things. So sometimes, I, yeah, I think we all do theology. We just don't think right. of it as a disciplined um, academic study. Right. We're all theologians. 
and yet we have not all been to seminary where we've studied theology, but that doesn't mean that we aren't a theologian. And so um, when we first start thinking about theology, though, there is this word here that I'm not even sure I can say it correctly. Prolegomena? Or that, that... it looks like, like prologue. This is something we have to need, start doing before so that we have kind of a common ground. We, we know where we, yeah, we know from. where we're coming from. Right. Yeah. And so it's, mm -hmm. uh, it is the word from which we get the word prologue. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's part of the same root. Uh, I've heard it pronounced prolegomena. And I was almost there. <laughs> but hey, learn a fancy word. It, it's handy. Well, you know, we were having a discussion the other day, not you and me, about the difference between the word duodenum and duodenum. It depends on, I guess, who your teacher was. So, That's true. Yeah. That's true. But part of this is, and we, we've we learned it. Uh, I know that in seminary, we talked about it when we did Bible studies and we were you know, learning how to be educators. <laughs> And you probably do it somewhat in a classroom setting as well as an educator. And I think I do it as well when I'm teaching. We want to set up, at least in our own minds, what are my presuppositions? What are the biases that I'm coming to this topic with? My preconceived notions about something. And that's part of going through the prolegomena. But it's also having this conversation so we know where we're coming from. And maybe some definition of terms and what we mean. So if I say, you know, God this, God that, God this... I maybe don't always take the time to say I'm rooting myself in the uh, the Hebrew and the Christian tradition, you know. Um, but prolegomena kind of kind of sets that stage, and it also sets kind of a direction. You know, like what where where would we want to go with this conversation? Maybe we should have done this the very first episode. <laughs> maybe I don't know. Well, okay. So where are we starting from? What is going to be that starting place at least in this talk about? Theology. So, I, the the a, an aspect of this prolegomena, a, a foundational concept that we're working with, is this idea of the image of God, and and you know, if, and if we wanted to use the fancy Latin word, since we're talking about theology, we can talk about the imago dei. Right. Uh, the imago dei. I the love imago that dei. Term. And it, it rolls off the tongue a little easier than the image of God. I think. Yes, it does, and it's so beautiful sounding. But the dealing with the Imago Dei is, um, you know, it is something that was granted to us. It was something that human human beings had, and as we talked about last time, it was something that was fully expressed in Jesus as the the Son of Man or the Human One. And then the um, this this idea that Jesus is this Human One is, is says that he has this humanity and, and this capacity to restore us to god's intention from genesis 1 26 and 27 right and that's kind of where i've come from saying that we can't base our idea of humanity on adam in genesis because it's in jesus that we fully see what humanity is to be right it's all it's almost as if well, maybe I shouldn't say almost. It is as if we have not had a model about what a full human being looks like until we get Jesus. Until we get Jesus, yeah. right? That's what I was going yeah. to say. And and one of the things about Jesus as the Imago Dei is this conviction, this kind of orthodox, simple claim. Maybe it's not simple. 
that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And yet the two don't mix, is what some people try to really say, that 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 the humanity did not get into the God part of Jesus. Somehow he was separated. That's how I've understood it. Okay. Before we get into that, though, okay. <laughs> I decided to to have, you know, quote just a section from the fourth century Nicene Creed. Oh, gosh. And some people are going to say, a creed, creeds are bad. Perhaps, perhaps they are. But this is how those who were early on in, in shaping the faith, the one that we've inherited, Exactly. How they understood this. And how they... And, and how this understanding has not been, I would say, um, undone. <laughs> exactly. And how and how this understanding has shaped us as followers of Jesus and how it has um, encircled the discussion that we have usually when we talk of Jesus. So I, I want you to read this section out of the Nicene Creed, partly because... One of the times in my life that I truly began to appreciate it was when you were studying it <laughs> when you were in seminary. Okay. Because you got hung up on that. Was it homoousius? Yes. Anyway, yes. we're not going to go into the Latin or Greek or whatever that was. But. That was fun. <laughs> All right. So this is uh, just one little section from the Nicene Creed. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, <clears throat> light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. And one of the things that that the cap that this captures is part of what God's original intention was for human beings. You know, we don't fully I don't think we fully grasp God's intention for us to be the image of God. We were to co-rule with God over all of creation. You know, we were made, maybe not the begotten. Those things are separate. And the Gospel of John talks about Jesus pre-existing and being part of the creation. But this is this is a lot of what we were, you know, created to be. We were to, we had some of that godness in us. I don't want to say the same essence, but there, there, right. there is a. There was a very high hope for humanity at creation. <laughs> and so it, it seems like maybe the instruction, I, I don't mean that this to sound bad, but somehow we got the instruction manual wrong. Well, when, you know, we're at that time. <laughs> so, so just to, you know, it, you know, it's not a literal, you know, history of the beginning. Right. And, all we have is the story handed off to us from others who have had a fragment, you know, or a fragmentary image of God who, who've been in the same situation or brokenness. And, and so the story we get, it's kind of like, what is it, whisper down the lane or whatever? Well, and we have to remember that before anything was written down, it, it was a um, storytelling right. um, world. And so the stories and the and the uh, I don't want to use legend or myth in 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 a bad way, but all those things were passed from storyteller to storyteller to storyteller, and so sometimes storytellers change it up a little bit as they retell it. And I think there is though an element that is maintained. I mean, that's that's right. I guess a conviction. The kernel, the core kernel. And and that's the positive or the 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 
formal understanding of myth. You know, this is a story that guides our sense of wisdom, guides us in life, gives us a sense of morality and direction. And so it is it is a myth. And I think the myth was was maintained and elements of that myth, you know, continue and it, you, they, they filter through the the narrative of the Hebrew Bible and into the New Testament. So when that Imago Dei is 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 lost or damaged or, you know, broken um, and the human beings are separated, you know, they, they feel shame. They hide from each other. They hide from God. Right. Um, they are experiencing death. I mean, death, death, death is now not only this distant thing that will happen when they get old, they're feeling elements of death when it comes to fear, separation, anxiety, uh, the limitations, of, you know, they're, they're, they're broken already. And death has already entered their world where it hadn't before. Okay. So something new is causing for them. Something right, new right. has entered and they get banished from the garden they get banished from the trees, the tree of life, the right. tree of knowledge of good and bad. And but the tree of life is kind of essential here. Right. And that's that's the one that tells us death has now encroached, you know, on, on their world, on their experience, their life, because they don't have that access to full life. So we get the element again. We, we, we've got the human one. We've got the son of man. We've got Jesus. And as the one who comes to destroy death, you know, that, that thing that created the separation between man and woman early on. And to bring, restore life or to redeem us back to life. Right. And so, and so to view Jesus in light of this original story, and in fact, to, to view the Christ event in light of that original story, I think sheds a different light on what was Jesus doing. And the gospel writers uh, in reflection of, of the resurrection itself, I think are trying to tell us that this Eden kind of world is 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 on on the cusp. It's there. It's 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 almost present. So when Jesus is is saying the kingdom or the reign of God has come near, is that the gospel writers? putting that forth that, for us to think about so that's a piece of it and i think that's an important piece of it it's it's like saying eden is right here you know it's really close in fact it's 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 available and in the early you know christian tradition it's in the gospels and it's in paul's writings that jesus was killed not i mean on a cross of course right but it's used also the metaphor it's as a on a tree right and and, yeah. and that instrument of death where Jesus destroys the power of death becomes a symbol of life. So the tree that killed Jesus is also the tree of life. Well, that is an interesting twist on it, isn't it? So, but we're talking mm. about a Hebrew mind, right? Yes. You know, in yes. that first century. And that Hebrew mind in the first century, um, in, you know, they, they think about, you know, Paul talks about, you know, it's a, it's a scandal. It's a shame that anybody be killed on a, you know, on a, hung on a tree. Right. Because it was a scandal right. in, in but, that society. But he makes the point of putting it on a tree. He's a Hebrew. He's a rabbi. He points out a tree. That tree that causes death is the tree that causes life. Hmm. And 
again, in the Hebrew mind of that first century, where is Jesus first encountered? And who encounters him? Okay, I would go back to his birth and in no, a manger, perhaps. No, no. In and... the resurrection. Who oh, first in the resurrection. Him? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you yeah. were talking about. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Oh, he's in the garden. Right. And he and Mary and the well, Mary, I mean, other women had come with her, but Mary first encounters him and she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he's a gardener. So, again, we have yeah. Eden present here in Jesus. And the thing is, in the garden, he is a he is a gardener. He is the restored human being. And where what was the first job of human beings? To tend the garden. So Mary's not wrong. No, that is true. I'd never thought of that before. And this is this is I think this is the way that we lose track of the Hebrew plot line that we've inherited as Christians. Because we kind of have pushed aside that Hebrew plot line. We focus on the New Testament, which isn't bad, but at the same time, Jesus was a Hebrew man, a Hebrew rabbi. And yeah, and, we and, can... And his followers, you know, yeah. especially the first ones are all followers. Uh, so we don't Hebrew. fully understand sometimes the things that were being said, maybe the symbol, the sim symbolism and uh, connection right. back to the garden. And so we have, we have, we have this garden image. We have uh, an echo of a tree of life. We have the gardener. We have these Eden images again. So to keep building on that kind of echo of, of, of Eden in the Hebrew mind, where does Jesus go to say goodbye to his disciples in Matthew's gospel? Hmm. Isn't he on a mountain? He's on a mountain. He's on a mountain. I can't remember which mountain off the top of my and, head. And again, you know, the mountain imagery is powerful. It's used by the prophets. It's used to say this is the place where God's reign is fully present and available. Well, why the Tower of Babel was being built to get closer to God and then talking about how the rivers flow out of Eden. Right. Well, then Eden had to have a mountain in it. And and or was a mountain. And and to keep <laughs> going back and you know, like saying things over and over on that mountain in Eden humanity was as humanity was meant to be. Jesus, now with his followers on that mountain in Matthew, gives yeah. them gives them a commission. Right. And essentially here it just says they went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So we don't yeah, know the right. name of the mountain. And when they see him, they worship him. Some were doubtful. But Jesus then tells them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that i have commanded you and remember i am with you always to the end of the age now one of the things in there that i think is crucial and it kind of goes back to this this idea that full humanity this full image of god is not something that we identify or recognize individually. It's within relation, relating to one another as humans. And I would also 
venture to say in relation to God. Exactly. Well, it, in it fact, has it, to be. <laughs> in fact, the image of God coming from God, it seems like the only way to be fully human with another human being is rec recognizing where our humanity comes from and being in relationship with God as well. Yeah. Correct. It's, it's yeah. all together. Yeah, it can't be separated. Now, one of the things that came to my mind in that passage was the, the, the word of like going to all these nations. The word is ethnos that's used there for na nations. And it's, it's, okay, a very, yeah. it's a very traditional in, uh, translation of that. We would think of ethnic. Right. Yeah. Now, if I, I, I jotted some notes down on this, but I think I remember you hearing Leonard Sweet talk about ethnos once. I don't know that I have that, that ready for that right now. But do you remember that? When did you hear Leonard Sweet? Oh, it was a long time ago. Yeah. Was it after we did it? 15-ish years ago, it... yeah. Okay. Yeah. So one of the things that you said that Leonard said, that um, that word ethnos, is think of it in terms of culture and even subcultures. And the illustration you mentioned to me that, that I thought you were saying, Len Sweet was saying, We'll give Len Sweet the credit. credit or, well, I'm sure it is his credit, uh, yes. But he said, well, think about, you know, skate culture. You know, you got skater punks. That is a subculture. That is an ethnos. Ethnos or ethnos, whatever it is. But then if we begin thinking of these different groupings in society, we all know different subcultures. You know, we're, you could say, oh, we're all Idahoans or oh, we're all uh, North Americans or whatever. But there's all these other smaller groups that we don't connect with. We don't know. We, we're not familiar with who they are. Right. Well, like today, as I was leaving school, there were two kids out there playing basketball. And I was kind of like, eh, yeah, basketball is not my thing. I hope they don't think I'm going to catch their ball. No, <laughs> I could. But no, they were tall, quite tall. But yeah, so there's, there's, <laughs> so there's another subculture, athletes. Right, you right. Know, that's one that you and I are familiar with. I mean, the athletic mind. We've right. been around athletes a lot. We're a little familiar with artists because we've had some of those in our lives as well. Yeah, musicians. Musicians. Um, what about uh, cowboys? Hmm. Uh, rodeo people. No. Not familiar with not them. Not really. Yeah. yeah, I haven't really hung yeah. out with any of them. What about uh, tradespeople, carpenters, uh, people who build homes and fix yeah. pipes and... Not too much, a yeah. few. We, but we not have a lot. all these different cultures. What about right. what about Republicans, or Democrats, yeah. or Independents, yeah. or Communists, or it could go on and on and on. Yeah. So right. we have all these ethnos in our around in, us, in, in and around us. Yeah. And what if I what if I began to think that the only way that I can fully understand the image of God is to be in relationship with those people who I don't understand, who I'm not familiar with. Well, that can kind of seem scary, doesn't it? Because you have to put yourself out there. And get used to something that you're not used to. Learn language that you're not familiar with. Maybe even, and I won't do this, get on a skateboard and try <laughs> to skate. But I don't want to fall and break a limb, so. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but there's other ways to make, develop relationships or whatever. So what, but, I think one of the things that you know Jesus didn't really say, but we put it on that passage in Matthew 28, we call it the Great Commission, 
I don't think, you know, I think that in some ways that gives us a misunderstanding about what the possibilities are there. Rather than going to these others, I mean, there's a whole bunch of sequence in different parts of this, you know, baptize and teach and whatever. Right. Um, but if we go to these others, we don't have to go with the purpose of getting them into our church. We don't have to go with stated purpose to get them saved, whatever that, however we want to define that. If we're simply going to others to listen, to become familiar with them, to let the relationship together turn into a relationship with God, that's really cool. But I, what, I, what, I, what I think out of this, rather than us going to give them something, what if we go to them to receive something? Kind of what we were talking about this last Sunday, um, after listening to the whole idea of, of um, God, of being an immigrant culture. And, or being immigrants and host cultures and how do those two cultures interact and and build upon one another and and that's yeah. not always easy and what it what it turns around is we're not maybe the commissioning we have is not to go tell but it's to go listen or maybe you know maybe a simpler way to say it is just to go relate yeah, that would make more sense to go and build a relationship, to go and you listen and you tell when you're building a relationship. Right, you, because, there's a give and take. Right, right. There's a both and. So that that could be a, a another way of looking at that. And yet we've always kind of been stuck. No, nope, this is this is telling us to go out and be missionaries or I got to go out and be an evangelist. And, and then we kind of go, but I'm not a missionary or I'm not an evangelist. It's, it's hardly is, is, I think it's just go out and be a friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the confessions we have as Mennonites, at least Mennonite Church USA and Mennonite Church Canada, okay, is we share three kind of fundamental pillars, I guess, and of what we say, you know, what we believe. Jesus is the center of our faith. Right. Community is the center of our life. Reconciliation is the center of our work. And so that reconciliation work makes me think that if my if if the image of God to be fully present requires relationships and restored relationships, even with people I'm not I don't understand and you know don't really I'm not really familiar with seems like that reconciliation work is actually part of the, that, that, that sending that Jesus or taking the bricks down so we can build a bridge. You know, it's, it's that reconciliation work means I've got to be able to understand and care about people who are wrong, <laughs> whatever word we want to use, wrong, obnoxious, um, misinformed or whatever they are, you know, it's, Plus everybody else who's not quite so far gone. Well, for people who aren't like us. And that's really what we what we end up saying, you know. Yeah. Right. We 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 put ourselves in there as kind of like the the you know if they're not like us, there's something wrong. And yet at the same time, there's maybe something there that we need to be able to reconcile. And in his writings in Second Corinthians, Paul wrote in chapter five. Uh, so if anyone, I'm going to go back one verse. So if anyone in Christ is in Christ, they're there, not t not they are there. T-H-E-R-E -E, is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. 
And then we get into that part where we are becoming reconcilers. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. And we and then Paul says, we entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And I think I'll stop there. So I think sometimes when we think of reconciliation, I know that I think about conflict, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, um, and then coming in to mediate and then to transform the relationship and, you know, but I don't think this is about conflict as such. It's, I mean, it may be, you know, conflict between humanity and God or something like that. But, and there are conflicts between people. But this is putting reconciliation also just at the level of human beings getting along, you know, getting to know each other, hearing from one another, and building a bond that had not been there before. And so, for instance, I can think about the neighbors across the street. I don't know their names, <laughs> you know, and I don't see them very often. They don't come out of the house very much. That's <laughs> right, true. Right. And so uh, the word, of the, the way reconciliation fits into that is, I mean, we're not reconciled. It's not that we've had a conflict. Correct. That's you know, it's, true. It's not been a problem with neighborhood, you know, but but we don't know each other. We, we are not in relationship and, so we have to reconcile that or change right, it. Right. Yeah. And so I want to take that word reconciliation, pull it out of this whole conflict thing. You know? Yeah. Because we do tend to think of it as right. oh, making things right between people. But it is, in a sense, making things right. Yeah. Just not because of a conflict, right. but it's making things right so that relationship can take place. It can be nurtured. It can... Uh, become a rooted thing. Now, this this whole thing was a real problem, though, in the early church. There were there were conflicts, and there was lack of reconciliation, and uh, you know there was this kind of brokenness and separation. And that's where Paul actually enters in to do some conflict work, um, where there were those who were Jewish Christians and those who were Gentile Christians, and there was you know. Yeah. Lack of trust and lack of familiarity. And a difference in the way to do it. Right. They mm-hmm. disagreed on the way to be a good Christian. You yes. Know, the way, the, I wouldn't even use that. A way. A, a the, good follower of Jesus. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so they had to, you know, work at understanding what that looked like. And so there was, there was a broken relationship there. And I think I, I lined out. Galatians three twenty five to twenty nine, but there's a lot of there's some other passages there. Could you go ahead and read that? Well, in twenty five, okay. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, he was talking to these groups who were 
not clear on how to proceed to be Jesus followers together because they are coming from different angles on it. Mm-hmm. But one of the phrases that's used in there that I've never really known how to put it in my head is clothed in Christ. And he so uses that again in Colossians. He, it's, it's a frequent phrase that he will use mm-hmm. to be clothed in Christ. Now, why would we be clothed? Why, why would we need clothing? And what would that clothing be like? What, what's what's that metaphor mean? What's that? Well, when we think about going back to the garden, when the first humans are separated or, or have learned what good and bad is, they realize that they're naked, they put some leaves on, and God eventually clothes, clothes them so that they will not feel uncomfortable around each other. That's one way I'm thinking of it. And so what, one of my favorite Bible teachers lately has been... Um, Tim Mackey. Right. And he uses the phrase hyperlink, like on a website, you see the link and you hit it and you bounce to something else. Uh-huh. And his one of the things that he comments on this word clothed, this is a hyperlink directly back to Genesis. It was the lack of clothing that drew, drove humanity apart from one another in shame. And Jesus brings us back together when we are clothed in him. Yes. But who brought the original clothing? Real clothing. Jesus. No, in the Genesis story. The original clothing. The the first or the ones that God provides. Yes. That was clothing. <laughs> that was that was it said animal skins. Yes. But at first it was grabbing some leaves and trying to cover themselves up, right? That's right. that's the story. Right. God clothes them. Um it's interesting. Before they covered themselves, now God clothes them in in animal skins. So the first clothing giver is God. Okay. This is God's role is to, to, you know, that thing that, that separated us, our sense of shame and vulnerability and being afraid of one another, being clothed in Christ is to me is saying God clothes us in something that no longer makes me feel vulnerable to another. Okay. And so, I'm thinking even that in Colossians, Paul goes into greater depth of what that being clothed looks like. Um, I don't know if you want me to... Jump in there. um, He says some of the very same things. So if you've been (laughs) raised with Christ, then you need to seek the things above. This is in chapter 3. He talks about putting to death certain things, things like greed and anger, wrath, malice. Then he says, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Those those attributes in which we are supposed to be clothed, compassion, love, etc. They're all attributes of Jesus. Right. What else does Paul call those? And, you know, jump into another. Passage. Oh yeah. If we go back to Galatians, we have the fruit of the spirit. Right. Right. We have the fruit. So of again, the spirit. we we have these these characteristics. This is this is what the clothing does. It it removes the thing that keeps us separated. And it 
puts back into us that which we were originally created. Yeah, Love, yeah. compassion, and, and, kindness, and gentleness, self-control. This patience. is God this is God's wisdom. And the when when people went for the the tree of good and bad, yeah. they were looking to get wisdom on their own. I'm gonna figure it out myself, you know. And this is God's wisdom maybe. And and God's wisdom is something that a lot of people mm, there's a lot of people who want it. But there's a lot of people who think, oh, that's too hard to attain. It's too hard to attain. And so they may not even try. That's true. But but since God is the giver of the clothing, do we have to try? That might be the thought to have. Do we have to try? Or is, or is, is the gift there for us to receive? Or. Oh, gosh. This goes back to something you were talking about either last time or a couple of weeks ago or maybe on church on Sunday. Do you, you were talking about when we see another person to see them as Christ or to see them through Christ or. Well, I remember Tony Campolo got into trouble for this a um, long time ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but he said something to the effect that um, when you look at another person, you need to look at them as though Jesus is standing in between you and you see this person through Jesus and you see this person as a person that Jesus loves, that Jesus uh, cared enough to come to earth, to, uh, to live his life, to die on the cross and to raise again for, for this person that you're looking at or any person that you look at. And, and he got into a lot of trouble for that. Well, but the other thing I was also thinking about is that when, uh, you know, if you do yoga and at the end, I think there's the thing namaste, which I believe means something to the effect is I recognize the God in you as you recognize the God in me. We need to remember that there is that image of God in every person we meet, even if they don't show that image is okay so, was, so yeah i was going to push you on that so we look at somebody through christ christ is the filter through which we see someone exactly. and if we look at them that way they look a little jesusy they we we can see i don't know if they look jesusy okay, but they're, but they're jesus has told us to look at people and to to reach out to them as if we are reaching out to him right to see them as the least of these but if we look at someone through hmm. Jesus and we see them, it's almost like Jesus seen hanging on the cross and he's talking to the one thief on the one side who says, Lord, remember me. And he says, you will be with me today in paradise. Jesus is looking at that person, seeing that this person wants and desires to be with him and forgive and be forgiven. So if we look at people through that, image of Jesus who who cared for him who went to the woman who was being stoned and and stopped these people from stoning her if he talked to the Samaritan woman he reached out and touched a leper because he wanted to heal him the leper said if you want to heal me and Jesus said if I do want to so that's what I'm kind of thinking of that Jesus. And there's, there's something else you're saying, but you're not saying you, you alluded to it and then you didn't dive into it. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. But <laughs> it's like you're, um, so Matthew 25, 
Yes. You know, the least of these parts. So right. when we see somebody who's sick, who's ill, who's naked, who's in prison, yeah, any of these people who are suffering through vulnerability, see them, see serving them as serving Jesus. Correct. So, so we're seeing Jesus in them, whether or not we even see Jesus in them. And, and I mean, that, that heart of compassion is, is responding to Jesus. Okay. But Jesus, Jesus is in the poor. Jesus is in the imprisoned. Jesus is in... In everyone. Right, right. So anyway, I was thinking that kind of Campolo is making sense now. Tony Campolo, when I think about it that way. Okay. Um, when it, hmm. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought he made sense just yeah. if I'm looking through someone as if Jesus is in between the two of us and Jesus is doing that reconciling. That's what that's about. Yeah. If we look at that other through Jesus, not just through his eyes, but through Jesus. That's what I think Tony Campolo was saying is we're seeing him, we're seeing him or her through Jesus, not just Jesus eyes, but through Jesus, through the entirety of who Jesus is and what he did here in our world after creation and coming as one of us. If we see the other through Jesus, we are going to have a whole different idea of that other. And there's that reconciliation that can take place. That's that reconciliation. So I have tons more notes and resources than we can get to, but I do yeah, want to touch on one time. thing. Okay. We've got about four more minutes. Yeah. But I want to touch on this one because it's one of my favorite folks from uh, the Radical Reformation is Hans Dink. Hans Dink. And so Hans Denk was a scholar, student, a student of the classics, baptized by my favorite Anabaptist, probably because his name is so fun to say, Balthazar Hubmeier. It's oh, a yes. great name. But he was part of the South German Anabaptists, and they were different than the Swiss Anabaptists. And the, um, in fact, many Quakers uh, attribute some of their ideas to Hans Denk as well, because he is different than those folks in Switzerland. Okay. Um, but... So he, with his with his skill as a in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, he translated the Old Testament and he translated the prophets, and then he wrote a meditation on the on on Micah, Micah four, I think it was was the one that got him into trouble, and because it seemed from Micah four from his views on that that he was perhaps even seeing in. And that time it was probably the Turks, so that's what they called them, but the, the Muslims. Mm -hmm. He saw even in them something about God's grace, that they could be treated as this person that Jesus is in, you know? That someone Jesus loves. So some, oh, yeah. Even more than just somebody Jesus loves, there's something special about them just as they are. And so when he translated the, the, the Hebrew from Mark, and here's, here's, the, here's the passage. So, I mean, not Mark, Micah. Micah 4, 5, and this is a literal translation. Though all the peoples, they shall walk, each one in the name of his Elohim, of his God. Yet we shall walk in the name of Yahweh, our Elohim, for the eons, or the ages and ages and further. Forever is what that means. But this is taking place on God's holy mountain. And even those of other gods will walk with us. Ah, yeah. And when he preached on that, that God even loves the Turks 
and is admitting them, welcoming them, welcoming them to the holy mountain, he got in trouble. <laughs> mm. But but he took the the most fearsome, frightening other that they knew of at the time, the Turks, and said they are they are our brothers and sisters, and in fact, in them the image on the mountain in Eden begins to be fulfilled. All right. Well, we have kind of run out of time. I think we might want to pick up a little bit with Hans Dank the next time we record. So um, thanks for listening today. I'm Carla. I'm Craig. And we are not holier than you. And we're glad that you have joined us. All right. Well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. <laughs> uh, and boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. <laughs> I thought I'd have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So, I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. We're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical no. anyway, but um <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um we are glad that you joined us and we hope that you'll join us again. Right. All right, see ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.